Welcome, everyone, to Moraine Park Technical College's Talent Talk podcast. I'm Kelly Karpinski, a business development manager in the Economic and Workforce Development Division of MPTC. Today, we are talking with Bonnie Berwald. Bonnie is president of Moraine Park Technical College and in 2023 celebrates her 30th year at the college. We'll be talking with her about how the college has evolved over the last few decades, current opportunities and challenges, and what the future holds for both Moraine Park and its students. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, let's talk about your professional career here at Moraine Park, um, you know, and, and what ultimately led you into the, the college's top position? Well, I actually have a very unique career pathway story Uh, My background is accounting, so I graduated many, many years ago with an accounting degree from UW-Whitewater. And my first job a few weeks after graduation was here in Fond du Lac at Grant Thornton. And I was an auditor there for five years. And one of our clients happened to be Moraine Park Technical College. So I was on the audit committee that did the audit here at the college. And it just so happened that the finance director at the time, a shout out to Mr. John Willis, um, actually knew of me because I was friends with his daughter. I went to high school with his daughter. So I knew him and he knew me. And and so we had a, a relationship before I came here. And so he approached me a few years into the audit to say he had an upcoming retirement in the business office, wanted to know if I would have an interest in that. And that started my career here. I joined uh, Moraine Park in 1993 as a senior accountant and then moved up to office manager, finance director, and laddered my way up to a a vice president of finance and then extended that to administration covering many areas of the college. And so, quite frankly, I was happy in that career pathway role. I had no intent of being a college president, and people laugh at that story because it is true. Um, you know, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. <laughs> um, didn't necessarily want to be public speaking and out fundraising for money. Uh, so when we had a, a presidential resignation in the middle of an academic year, the board of trustees at the time uh, reached out to me because they knew I had a long history here at the college. People knew me. The community knew me. Mm-hmm. So they asked me if I would step in as interim president, which I was happy to do because I absolutely love this organization. It's it's part of who I am. And so I did that. But I was very careful to say, I want my vice president job back (laughs) after you find someone. And so we went through that conversation. But about five, six months in, Uh, They approached me again and said they really liked the work I was doing. The employees uh, liked the approach I was taking um, with decision making and so on. And so they asked me to stay on. And that was a very hard um, decision for me. I spent some time thinking and praying about that one because it was definitely out of my comfort zone. And so, um, but here I am. I'm in my eighth year as president, um, s- still loving the job, um, very proud of everything that we've accomplished here at the college. And so 
that's my journey. It's not anything like a um, a traditional pathway for somebody who wants to get in a into a college presidency. Sure. Well, um, you make it look seamless. Well, so thank you. <laughs> so um, let's talk about the college during this thirty-year history that you've had. Um, you know, how has it and the and the education we now provide evolved since the 1990s when you began your career here? Well, since I began in the finance office, I'll talk a little bit about finance first. Sure. Right. So financially, um, just because that that's an area of expertise I have, we, we were strong financially back then. And as a college, uh, we are strong financially today. So... Um, I would say that's one thing that hasn't changed is our overall financial strength. But I will say the financial components of that um, financial statement or budget is much different. Um, first of all, our revenue sources are much different than they are or they were last 30 years ago. Back then, you know, we pre- we're pretty balanced in our revenue structure. We got, you know, roughly a third of our revenue sources from tuition and fees from the students, about a third from the, the state, and then another um, third through property tax levies, you know, levy we call it. And today that's much, much different. So in the last several years, we've had a lot of limits and caps to our levy authority, so property taxes, if you were a homeowner, you would notice from 30 years ago to today, much, much different in the uh, allocation. Um, and then um, less in student fees and uh, tuition students and fees because, you know, our state board actually authorizes any increase, and that's been relatively low. Um, but the big difference is the state... Um, it now covers the majority of our revenue. So oh, okay. the state now funds about 60% of the college uh, revenue base, which is much different. And obviously for anybody out there who works for a state organization or relies on state or federal funding, you know that there's ups and downs to that cycle. And so you know we're not as flexible, in my opinion, as we used to be with our revenue sourcing. So that's probably one thing on the finance side of the house. Our students, I would say 30 years ago, probably an older um, age for our program students, because not only did we have some 18-year-olds right out of high school, but a lot of the working adults came back to us uh, full-time for programming. You know, there was always unemployment and most people know that, you know, when we have high unemployment, typically the technical colleges have higher enrollments because people are coming back to get reskilled or upskilled. Right. And so um, I would say, and, and also back then, a lot more full-time students. Today, um, that's quite different. Today, most of our students, in fact, over 80% of our students are part-time, right? So they are working adults. Um, a lot of home and personal and work commitments. So they're coming to school part-time. They also, I would say today, we've seen um, a much higher need for mental health and and other type of personal counseling counseling needs. We didn't have that nearly as much 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. 
And the other thing, too, is the students today, because they have such busy lives and they want better work-life balance, they prefer hybrid learning solutions. Mm -hmm. Back then, we had hardly any distance education. Uh, I don't even know that we had much of any online learning solutions, and that's totally flipped today. So that would be, I would say, something in regards to our students. And then in our programs, you know, we've always had our programs match the employer needs, right? And so 30 years ago, manufacturing and healthcare were, you know, part of our local industry. So we still have a lot of the same programs in that space. But obviously, we didn't have anything near what we have today in offering our uh, IT solution programming um, and some of that uh, space. And obviously, now we have liberal arts transfer degree opportunities, which we didn't ever have until this last year. Um, so I would say that's big. Um, additionally, and I'll talk about this a little later, but we're doing a lot more with career pathways, right? We talk about lifelong learners, right? right? So over your 60 years of 50, 30, 50 <laughs> years, whatever you are in in your working world, um, you're probably going to change careers. You're going to be upskilling, reskilling. So no longer is it the world where you get a college credential, you know, when you're younger and never go back to college again. Right. Today it's much different. And then I would say operations. Um, obviously, back then, I can still remember the day when I was a senior accountant. One of my job duties at the end of each month was to run, you know, those very wide green paper reports <laughs> off the, the printer, mm -hmm. rip them off manually, <laughs> and everybody's monthly financial report, budget versus actual, I would highlight areas of concern, write notes, and then I would physically mail all those reports <laughs> out to the managers. And today it's yeah. nothing like that, no. right? It's all self-serve. You have a couple clicks and you right. got the information. So obviously um, much more uh, technically savvy and integrated. And um, we're, you know, I would say operationally too, we ask our staff to wear a lot more hats, right? Do more with less leverage technology heavily right. um, and try to stay connected as best we can. So I would say those are the big differences. Right. I, a lot of times when I'm out talking with businesses, I say we're not really that different from a business in many ways. And that's right. certainly one of them. So. Uh, so as president, you have spent a lot of time within our communities um, and, and with the business community. So how do you think those relationships have changed, if at all, in, during your time here? Well, we've all, even 30 years ago, we've always had advisory committees, right? And so every single program that we offer here at the college is tied to an advisory committee made up of industry professionals in that particular area. So we've always had that. So we've always had that tie to business and industry. But I think what's different today is we're leveraging higher level dis discussions with decision makers at the college. So in, in addition to the operational folks talking about curriculum and software and hardware, we're having deeper conversations about um, partnershiping that makes sense for us. Um, you know, we, we do rely very heavily on our businesses industry uh, partners uh, to help 
you know, just the long-term decision-making for the college. And we'll continue to lean on that in the future, I will say that. Additionally, when I first started at the college, we didn't have a foundation office, right? Um, So back then, the executive assistant to the president managed the foundation. And what she did is, if you happen to leave the college in your will or in your estate plan, um, you know, once in a great while, we would get some resources, and then uh, she would just, you know, invest that money. Uh, she would go through the process with a with a committee to actually identify students who would have access to certain scholarship dollars, and she would work through all of that. It was a busy time of year for her, but it was a one-person show. Right today, we have uh, three dedicated professionals in that area, and we do a lot more with trying to raise dollars for student support and other capital projects, as we'll talk about a little bit later. So I I think, you know, those are the big differences. And I know not directly business and industry, but I will tell you too, a big difference today is we're doing a lot more with our K twelve partners. You know, we serve 27 school districts within our district. So we're doing a lot more with them trying to create smaller level credentials and pathways for the high school students to earn college credits while they're going to high school, right? Get them out into the workforce quicker. That's what the employers want. And then also working with our our partners uh, that are in the four-year colleges and universities, right? Making sure that our students, when they graduate and they can take their transcript to the four-year colleges, that everything on there will transfer and they're not repeating classes or they're not going for an extended period of time. Right. That's very important. It is. So uh, what are your biggest points of pride uh, in the college since you've been here? Um always my biggest point of pride will be the faculty and staff. Our employees are amazing. Um, You know, we pride ourselves on a culture of caring and and a a workplace family. We we try to um, embrace the value of being home and we try to extend that value and culture to our students, right? we're, We're here for them, whatever their situation is. And we, we try to uh, reach out individually to all of our students to give them, you know, the, the resources they need to be successful. So that, you know, that will always be a point of pride for me. I, I just love the people who work here. Uh, we've done a lot with our, our um, diversity efforts in the last several years. I'm very proud of that. Um, we, you know, we've done a lot with educating employees and students on what it means to be inclusive, why it's important, and why um, why we want to do this for the success of the college, and not just the college, but the communities as well. And I would say another area of pride for me is uh, there was several of us at the college, um, particularly those in the foundation office, that back in 2018, so you know, a few years ago, we did a a campaign to raise dollars for our Promise scholarship program. So that was a very large, that was one of probably the largest campaign efforts at that time. 
and we raised $1.2 million. And the Promise Program offers um, funding, last scholarship funding we call it, to low-income individuals who would probably never be able to afford college, you know, if they didn't have some type of financial support. So very proud of that. Um, the relationship with employers, I think it grows deeper and broader every year. You know, just this last year, we, we launched a very successful truck driving academy with Krell Camp Trucking, right? Very unique, uh, very innovative. Can't say enough about all the people involved. This wasn't my idea. I mean, I didn't make it happen. It certainly is individuals at the college that saw the opportunity, worked with the employer, and came up with a creative solution. So very proud of those type of things. Our liberal arts transfer degree, that's a sense of pride for myself. And again, a lot of people involved in making that happen. And we're doing more and more to build the curriculum around that space. And as we'll talk about in a minute, one of my greatest <laughs> sense of pride uh, is really around the referendum. Yes. Uh, we as a college, not myself, um, it might have been my vision, but there was a lot of people behind putting together probably two years worth of work to build a referendum campaign that we successfully passed um, this past November. All right, wonderful. Well, that is a long list of uh, yeah, points of pride. <laughs> there is a lot to be proud of here. There is, there is. Um, so what are some of the college's biggest challenges, um, and how is leadership not just you and the leaders, uh, you know, the staff, but also board of directors, vice presidents. How how are you all uh, going after these challenges? Well, there's lots of challenges, but I think I would focus on two. Um, and I don't think that I'm unique to anybody in higher ed. So the number one challenge is enrollment, mm -hmm. right? So Obviously, enrollment drives our revenue streams, right. and so it's no different from us than a K-12 school or anybody else that relies on enrollments. And I think everybody knows that the demographics are changing in our county and in the communities that we serve. We're an aging district, and we will continue to see declines in our K-12 graduation rates, which means there's less younger workers for the rest of the folks that are retiring either now or in the near future. So there's going to be a large gap mm -hmm. of jobs available. Mm -hmm. And so trying to do more with that situation. So we've got that going on. We have a very strong economy, which I'm not sure will change a whole lot anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So when there's a strong economy and wages are up, people don't see the value of, of going back to college and getting a credential, right? They typically don't see that unless they're unemployed or maybe they want a career advancement. They might come back to school. And, you know, competition is much different today than it was many years ago. Many years ago, I would say our competition was the four-year colleges. Right. Today, it's not. Today, our largest competition is the employer's. Right. So the employers are recruiting at the high school level and in some cases successfully at the middle school levels, trying to get those young individuals to learn about their industry, their company, uh, getting their foot in the door during those early ages, get them connected to a mentorship or whatever type of program they have available for young adults. 
and um, hoping to employ them as soon as possible that they're of legal age. So again, that's our biggest uh, competition right now. So what are we doing to really strategize to offset that or knowing that's down the horizon and quite frankly, it's with us today. Mm-hmm. It's really just doing more with our K-12 partners. There's always more that we can do there, mm-hmm. right? Trying to figure out, and every high school is a little bit different, right? Every high school has different facility resources, equipment resources, um, credentialed faculty to teach college curriculum. So they're all different. And so we have to individualize uh, credentialed pathway work with each of those individually. So we're doing more in that space and we will continue to do more in that space. Um, So that's one strategy that the Board of Trustees and leadership is working on. We at Moraine Park also are known, one of our niche uh, program offerings is with Department of Corrections, right? We have five uh, prison locations within our district and for I want to say more than 50, close to 60 years, we've been training um, more face-to-face type of programming inside prison walls to the justice-involved population. Mm -hmm. And so recently, this last year, not even a year ago, we received an opportunity to participate in what's called the Second Chance Pell Pilot Program. And what that does is we... We are one of 200 colleges in the United States that was selected to look at programming and servicing and build out what we could do for um, additional training, primarily in the online space, but additionally face-to-face for those uh, injustice-involved students. And um, the reason we're doing that is because it's anticipated that either this year or early next year, uh, those individuals will have access to the Pell Grant program. So before they were not uh, able to participate in higher education unless they could afford it themselves, uh, which certainly limited the uh, number of individuals who could do this. But starting next year, maybe later this year, uh, that offering will be available. So this this group of 200 colleges are trying to create, you know, and work with the experts in the area to figure out how do we do the processes and procedures in a very controlled environment, mm-hmm. right? Limited access or no access to the internet, um, very unique teaching requirements, mm-hmm. um, very unique uh, service uh, requirements, because we do have to teach and service them really no different than we do our own students, right? We can't Correct. discriminate in any way. So it's a lot of, it's been a, quite frankly, a lot of operational meetings <laughs> trying to figure it out. But that is an area, again, that's our niche uh, in our programming, and we want to do more in that space. And so that's another opportunity for us to do more. And I just think expanding and working with our business and industry partners to see what do they need from us? What can we creatively um, develop in partnership with them that would help them fill their workforce gaps? Mm-hmm. So we'll just, we'll just continue to do more in that space. And then the other uh, bigger challenge, no different than any other employer in this area, is talent retention and recruitment. Mm-hmm. 
right? So we're we're no different than anybody else. Um, you know, we've had a, a host of resignations and retirements and people looking. There's lots of job opportunities uh, there. And so we're heavily focused on what can we do to attract and retain top talent. So we've got a number of uh, initiatives underway, looking at market valuation work, engagement strategies at a personal level, a lot of well-being and wellness opportunities for folks, flexible work options. You know, we're doing a lot more in that space, uh, obviously where it makes sense. And then a real, I think, the other thing too people want, especially in, you know, I think when people come here for the first few years, they're very excited and very engaged. And then as they get into years four through maybe eight or nine, they're like, oh, I don't really have an opportunity to grow here. And then they start looking, right? And so they come a little bit more disengaged. And we, we want to figure out how to help them be more engaged while they don't have a, maybe a direct uh, opportunity to grow in their area. So we're looking for different opportunities for projects and other whatever makes sense for that individual we either want to develop them deeper into their area of expertise or broader into other areas of the college to help them feel more engaged and help them develop so we're doing more in that space as well so i would say those are the two biggest challenges for the college okay great ideas all right well we talked about the referendum briefly um, so let's talk about it a little bit more. For listeners who may not be aware of the details, can you just go over a brief overview of our expansion plans? Sure. So back in November, um, the voters in our district were able to vote on a $55 million referendum. And I'm proud to say that it passed uh, with favorable voting in all 10 of the districts or counties that we touch. And the pass rate was over 57%, which is phenomenal. I, my understanding is, is phenomenal. This is the first time that the college has ever passed a referendum. So we're excited, but we're learning. And um, so in detail, the reason why we went to referendum is because even before COVID, we were hearing from our employers um, we need some expanded programming, we need different direction for the technical college to to work with our K-12 partners in a different way, in a very creative and innovative way. And so we took a look at that and we also pulled a lot of uh, job information and looking at future forecasts for job openings. We did realize that, you know, just our district, you know, so the four counties that we serve, we're going to have over 14,000, 14,000 projected job openings in manufacturing and 8,000 in healthcare. Again, that's just in our four, you know, major counties that we serve, right? So knowing that, we said we have to do something different. And so when we pass, when we built the referendum projects and pass them, I will share that you know, the intent here is really to help our communities grow and sustain their workforce. So there's, there's in summary, probably four projects that we're looking to do. The first one, which will hopefully start this coming May, so in a couple months, will be an advanced manufacturing and trades edition we call the 
uh, Automation and Innovation and Robotics Center. Mm -hmm. So that's here in Fond du Lac, about 16,000-ish square feet of a new addition that we're going to build for robotics and automation and some advanced manufacturing space. And just to, to, to share, in addition to that, most of that center is going to be paid for with a capital campaign that we just completed mm -hmm. that neared uh, $2.7 million. And the reason we did that at the same time is because if the referendum failed, I did want to build the automation center because our manufacturing employers absolutely need trained workers in that space. And so we intend to build that space out this calendar year. And then as soon as that's built and filled and um, other spaces then in the entire manufacturing wing will be remodeled kind of as a second phase starting next January. And really just to refresh those spaces in the past, it you know, it's smaller spaces, smaller labs. We want to build more collaborative space with multiple programming opportunities, um, just more of the, the learning environments that people are looking for. And so, again, just last week, the, our state board approved the project here in Fond du Lac, and um, all is go for probably, <laughs> I'm fingers crossed, the bids come in okay, but yeah. uh, hopefully uh, um, may start on that project. Good. Uh, the second project, which we're deep into as well in design and efforts, is a brand new fire training uh, regional center that we are looking to build not on our existing campuses. Um, and, you know, most people don't understand that by statute we're required to provide servicing to all of the fire departments that are within our district, which in our case is close to 50 fire departments. Most of them volunteer but some of them are paid. And we didn't have really any space that made sense. We wanted to stay relatively central to, within our district, but we are currently negotiating a land purchase from the city of Horicon right now for a parcel of land on Highway 23, I'm sorry, Highway 33, just west of town. And uh, we're looking to, to have most of that uh, wrapped up by the end of this month. And then there's several approval steps that need to happen yet. But again, fingers crossed that we can navigate all of those negotiations and put a shovel in the ground on that project come this July. And that will probably be a year for that project to come to fruition. That will be a very sophisticated fire EMS, fire medic, paramedic training facility uh, for not only our traditional students to learn that craft, but obviously um, retraining and continuing education for all those existing uh, firefighters and such. The third project that will be on our to-do list will be a very, very large expansion, probably 46,000 square foot expansion at our West Bend campus to really enhance the opportunities for advanced manufacturing there as well. Um, and most of that, again, will be automation and robotics. And a lot of people asked me when I was sharing our, our ideas, why do you need advanced manufacturing and robotic space at both campuses? Why not just share the one? And the reason is, is because part of the solution of why we're doing that is because we want to leverage 
the facility and all the equipment and everything else with our local K-12 schools, right? We want to allow those uh, young men and women to come into the college to experience some advanced training during their high school years. And we knew up front in talking to our K-12 partners, if we put it here or in West Bend, they're not going to bus their kids that far. And so, and plus we have uh, a lot of local industry uh, businesses who will say, Bonnie, we do not recruit, you know, uh, that type of skilled labor from Washington County or vice versa. Right. So it is important for us because we are heavy in manufacturing that we have those training opportunities in both locations. So that project probably will begin in uh, probably late spring, summer of 24. And we're hoping to, to have that project done in about a year as well. Uh, that project also will include, it's multiple phases, but will include us creating a conference center on that campus in West Bend. Currently, we don't have anything right now um, to accommodate large groups in, in um, you know, certain types of, um, of structures and venues for, for training. And then we're also looking at repositioning the front main entrance of that campus, because right now it's really... You enter it from the back side right, of the campus. Right, it's a little hidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hidden. Yeah. And then the fourth and final project is back here in Fond du Lac. We are looking to put a small expansion on our healthcare wing to do some expanded programming in healthcare. And then we also are planning to remodel the healthcare wing extensively. Um, in fact, one of the biggest pieces of that is creating a, an eight-suite simulation center so mimicking a hospital setting where you have eight different hospital rooms and inside each of those rooms are very high-end simulators mm-hmm. where the students can learn in a safe environment multiple scenarios of medical issues. So we're super excited about that. And that project will be the fourth and final one. And we, we probably won't be getting that project until spring of 2026. So what what else does the future hold for Moraine Park Technical College and really technical colleges in general? What what do you see if you look ahead and, and envision the future? I think uh, part of the future is continuing to work with our industry leaders on building credentials that make sense for them. The trend that we are looking at is, you know, People aren't wanting to go to school for one or two years, and employers aren't wanting to wait one or two years. So we're taking those traditional uh, diplomas or associate degrees and breaking those credentials down into smaller pieces Mm -hmm. and then allowing those students to pace themselves in preparing. And in the long term, they might get, you know, a, a two-year degree or a four-year degree or whatever their long-term interest is. But breaking down credentials into smaller pieces, that's a trend that we will see and we will continue to work on. I think we will continue to see enhancements in hybrid and online learning solutions. Um, we're still unsure of what the new release of, you know, chat GPT looks and yes. feels like, right? It's a big deal right now. It is a big deal. <laughs> so most you're either on the fence and you're yeah. scared to death of it um, because you look at, you know, as a, 
as a as a faculty in particular, right? There's lots of new opportunity for quote unquote cheating, right? Or you could look at it to say, wow, there's a real opportunity here to figure out a new way to help our individual students learn in a different way in a different setting. So uh, that's way too new for us to really put um, our stamp on what we're going to do with that yet. But but you know the pace of technology is so fast right now. And it's very expensive to keep up with it. So, you know, the cost of that sometimes is limiting to us. I think we'll continue to see trying to address the holistic needs of the student, right? Um, we're trying to, to develop more data to say, you know, where are the barriers to success for a group of students in a particular class or in a particular program, or even breaking it down deeper to say, you know, of those group of students, are there other ways we can slice and dice the data to say, you know, maybe it's a barrier for this group of students, but it's okay for this. And so trying to figure out the barrier. So using data, I think, will continue to be an area of emphasis for us. And then I do think, um, you know, just really working much tighter with our business and industry leaders, community leaders, our K-12 and four-year college partners. We're doing a lot in that area right now, but it's going to get deeper and broader. I do know that. It has to. It's really one of the only ways we can sustain ourselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Bonnie, thanks for sitting down with uh, me today, and I appreciate the time you spent with our audience. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Listeners, you can be among the first to know about future Talent Talk podcasts and much more by subscribing to our newsletter. To do that, visit moraineparkedu slash newsletter. That's moraineparkedu slash newsletter. That concludes today's Talent Talk podcast. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.